Content warning. Tone Deaf is rated explicit for mature content and strong language. Spoilers are in every episode, so if you haven't seen the shows we are reviewing, you can always check back in later with us. We'll be here when you get back. I watched as the movie musical Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living composers say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held the lance, and he was given a crown, and he rode out to deliver a mediocre and ridiculously expensive yet cheap-looking movie musical unto the world. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living composer say, Come! And then another horse came out, a fiery one, and its rider was given the power to speak to animals and unleash a musical bomb by the same composers as the first unto the world. In his hand was a parrot, and the book the musical was based on, torn asunder. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living composer say, Come! And there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four composers saying, Add more bodies, add more sets, 25 million to make 26. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living composer say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. It was the death of the big Hollywood movie musical of the Hayes Code era, and it rode out on the horizon, the lost horizon, if you will, taking the roadshow release of movie musicals with it. The book of Theater Revelation, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. I'm a musical theater nerd. <laughs> and I'm not. This is very, Warren. <laughs> very much not. Yeah, so uh, we're continuing our slog through some of the worst movie musicals. Um, before we do that, I just want to thank everyone for your support of our show, uh, for all of the awesome listens. Um, as of this time, we're almost at 6,000 downloads, which Ooh. awesome. Uh, and I uh, want to give a shout out to uh, Steph uh, from Pod Rev Day. Uh, that was pretty awesome. She gave us a really sweet review as one of one of her eight reviews for 8-8. Eight, eight. So it was you. awesome. So thank you so much, Stephanie. And 
I also want to give a shout out to a friend of mine, uh, Paul Gibbs. He is doing a podcast called Entitled to Life. It is awesome. It is important. It's all about uh, the Medicaid expansion and healthcare and uh, why accessibility for healthcare is so important. And I want to give a shout out for him on this show because, yeah, just everyone needs to listen to it. It's really important. Uh, try and support him if you can. Uh, write to your congressman. Yeah. All that being said, our show is not tackling anything important right now other than one of the musicals that uh, nearly killed the Hayes Code era movie musical. Actually, it did kill the Hayes Code era movie musical. Is it the death of our horseman? No, okay, cause... maybe not this one. This one is not. <laughs> this one is Pestilence. And you'll see why as we get into it. I've decided it's Pestilence. It's riddled with disease. <laughs> yes. It's a filthy, filthy show, y'all. So, well, no, not filthy. <laughs> Hayes Code, babe. Hayes Code. Maybe I'll do a mini episode on the Hayes Code so that you can see what all... Because it's stupid. Well, I know the Hayes Code was... was that Hayes Code was stuff like uh, you can't have a married couple being in the same bed. Yeah. Crap like yeah. that. Like, it, it, oh my god, it's crazy. But... It was, it was, it was the... It was, we have to sugarcoat everything because people can't handle reality represented through TV. Mm-hmm. And that's also where my least favorite trope comes from. Which, the kill your gays. Ah, uh, that that's one. That's where it comes from. The you can only have gay characters if they die. Mm-hmm. So, let's start off by saying that I liked Dr. Doolittle as a kid for two reasons. And one of the reasons is just a subheader of the first. Animals. Parrot. <laughs> <laughs> I was also seven, which we're going to find as we talk more about this, that uh, not aiming at the target audience <laughs> kind of killed this show. So, well, what, so what was the target audience for the show? Kids. Okay. But they didn't really, <laughs> at the start aim for kids and we'll get into that with their test screenings <laughs> so i because i have seen this mm -hmm. show i saw it years ago when i was a kid and i had actually seen this it's funny i, I remember watching it with my mom because uh the eddie murphy nutty professor had come mm -hmm. out uh and i can't remember which came out Dr. Doolittle or uh, uh, Nutty Professor? Nutty Professor came first. Okay. Well, anyway, um, so what happened is we had seen one of them, and I remember talking about the film with my mom, and she had mentioned, oh, well, you know, this is actually a remake of, of an older film kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in rather quick succession, I had watched uh, the original Nutty Professor, Nutty Professor and mm -hmm. the original uh, Dr. Doolittle with my mom after I had seen the remakes mm -hmm. so I could see the source material. And uh, I remember liking Dr. Doolittle uh, mm -hmm. when I was a kid. I remember being bored at, towards like the latter half of yeah. some stuff. Uh, I remember like when they were going to look for the sea slug or whatever. <laughs> that was kind of when I stopped caring about the movie. Like my favorite part of the movie is definitely when he was in the courtroom mm -hmm. talking to the judge's dog. Like that was my I favorite part. I have to say, I'm so glad that you remember the sea slug because that means that I don't have to go into an explanation. <laughs> oh, I apologize if you wrote a bunch that you're going to have to shit can No, now. I'm so glad that I don't have to explain that scene. <laughs> <coughs> 
Oh, you okay, babe? Yeah. Okay. Just yeah. still got the cough. Yeah, still not. Still got. Not feeling well. Still got the cough. It's okay though because we have a fully stocked bar now, so you can. Well, okay, not fully stocked. It's stocked for us. I, it's stocked for you. <laughs> I was. I was gonna say. As we both know, nothing is ever fully stocked while I'm around. <laughs> to varying degrees of decidedly not full. But you'll you'll be able to at least tolerate this one. Uh, I, there will, this might be the least bad of them. There will be uh, some f- fermented product involved. Yes, yes. Um, so... I was wrong also with the learner and low connection, kind of, with this. Um, So, learner and low directed the last, or not directed, uh, composed and wrote for the last film that we saw, the King movie that will not be named. And they also did uh, uh, Paint Your Wagon and, um, god damn it, we already went over this, like, recently. (laughs) My Fair Lady, there we go. You could quiz me about the original 150 Pokemon and I'd probably be able to fire off like facts because that is hardwired into my brain and I can't ever forget it. So I think that's what happens is like, you know, we're to the point in my life where you try to teach me things about musical theater and then it just goes in one ear and just bounces off of other stuff in my brain and just leaks out. It reminds me when we were listening to Real Doctors, or Fake Doctors, Real Friends, when they were singing Drink With Me and you were just like, oh, what musical is this from? You were and we've seen it twice. I don't remember if my, I think my reply to that was, hello, have you met me? Yeah, yeah. Something along those lines. But, all right. So Sorry. Enough dilly-dallying. Um, <laughs> so, with the Learner and Low connection, it started with Alan Lerner. He does not see it to the end of this. Does he die? No. He quits? No. <laughs> okay, then. He doesn't quit. He gets fired. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> the forced quitting. Forced quit. <laughs> he gets control alt deleted. He gets uh, alt F4. <laughs> Alright, so. To say that Dr. Doolittle had a troubled production would be understating things. This wasn't the first time someone had tried to make a film based off of these books. Oh. Uh, and the books were uh, created in the 20s, and so this is going to be very 20s, except they do make some changes to make it less 20s, thank God. Um, yeah, I don't remember any racism in this show, but then again, I saw Very it. mild. Yeah, I saw it when I was really little, so... Compared to the books? Oh, is there racism in the books? Books are bad. Oh, neat. <laughs> Yeah, although they did do an edit on the books because they were like, you know, at the time, this is what was Vogue. Lofting would have wanted this changed. Lofting's the guy who wrote the book, Hugh Lofting. Um, But that's beside the point. So this is the only one that got filmed and released at the time. Now, we'll go more into other Dr. Doolittles later. Um, By the end of this, post 67 Doolittle. All little Doolittles. <laughs> but uh, 
Before this, there was an attempt with Fox Studios, who offered to buy the film rights from Hugh Lofting, who was the author of the books in 1922, but nothing ever came of this. Later, uh, when Lofting was still alive, Disney came in and was like, here's $7,500, give us the ancillary rights, and we're going to do whatever we want with this property, ha huh? And after much negotiation, Lofting was like, fuck off. <laughs> So, after his death, his widow sold the rights to the Canadian actress and producer Helen Winston. Uh, 20th Century Fox optioned the film in 1962 with plans for George Goebel to play Dr. Doolittle, and a script was written by Larry Watkin, and then Fox pulled out. Giggity. <laughs> um, they do come back later for distribution, and this is a mistake. <laughs> See, I was going to say, and now Disney owns Fox, and so... Yeah, it took a hundred years later, but they got their hands on it. Oh man, Disney shows up more than once in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> not, not like in doing anything with regards to actually producing it, but for causing the hurdles oh, <laughs> that they go through. If we can't have it, no one can. <laughs> I guess, I guess, not necessarily cause. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So, so. Producer Arthur P. Jacobs is all, the rights are up for grabs? Sweet! In 1963, and plans to produce the film with Lerner as composer and Rex Harrison as the star. One of these two is going to make it to the end of the film. Spoiler alert, it's Rex Harrison. That one I could have guessed. Yeah. So, uh, the rights were bought on Christmas Day, but there was a catch. He had six months to find a distributor. In this case, it's going to be Fox, and they're going to regret this. <laughs> <laughs> so, in March, he got himself a learner, but no Lowe, because Lowe had retired by this point. Andre Previn was brought on to score the film. Fun fact, he adapted the My Fair Lady score for film, and Rex Harris was signed on on the 22nd of March. And then Lerner got fired. <laughs> Does it say what he did to get fired? Yes. So... He didn't write the script. <laughs> he procrastinated and then was like, but I really want to write on a clear day you can see forever for Broadway. So he got fired because he didn't produce anything and they had a deadline. <laughs> well, which he basically got fired for incompetence is what it sounds like. Yeah, deadline's not going to get hit. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> so, um... Jacobs goes to the Sherman Brothers and is like, it's a jolly holiday for Doolittle. And Disney went, supercalifragilisticexpialahellno. <laughs> so he goes to up-and-comer Leslie Bricuse, who had written the music for Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Which is... Comer. God damn. <laughs> I was expecting that sooner. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so he wrote uh, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, which is the official musical of 2020. I was just about to say, that sounds exactly correct. <laughs> yes. Um, and he is actually the reason why this musical is less racist than its source material. Because okay. he was like, hey, it's hey 1965 guys. right now. This hasn't really aged well. And Lofting's widow was like, yeah, it was the 20s when this was written, so yeah, please change it. So Bricuse is the reason that there's also a reason that there's also a leading part for a woman in this movie. Good job. Yeah. Uh, and then Richard Fleischer is brought on to direct. There's where the 
things are coming together stops. Okay. So, are you ready to really hate Rex Harrison? (laughs) (laughs) Hit me with it. So, first off, yes, the character name that I'm about to tell you is real. Yes, it's a sign of what to come, but it's way worse in the books. And the character ends up not appearing in the film because of what happens next. So, Sammy Davis Jr. is originally hired on to play Bumpo, who is an African prince who goes to Oxford in the books, doesn't wear shoes, is kind of a caricature of Africans, and uh, he, he, it's not a great character, but uh, Harris, or Harrison, wants him gone. Not the character, Sammy Davis Jr., <laughs> Really? Yes. He said he wanted a real actor and not a song and dance man for this musical. Oh, fuck you, Rex. And then he goes, I want Sidney Poitier, who's not known for a musical career, in this musical. And so Sidney Poitier, who does not know that Sammy Davis Jr. has been hired at this point, agrees to meet with the composer and then the then uh, Jacobs and the other producer go to Sammy Davis Jr. Let him know, oh, you're no longer needed. And Dave, Sammy Davis Jr. is fucking pissed. Understandably which I so. I would be too. And he's like, I'm going to fucking sue Rex Harris. I'm going to go public with this. And they eventually were able to smooth things out. And Poitier was like, holy crap, I had no idea this was going on. I'm, I don't want to do this because I don't want to betray my friend. And he ended up staying on with the film, like being convinced to stay on for a little while, but then he eventually did leave. And then Jeffrey Rhodes comes in to play the new character that is rewritten from all of this drama, uh, William Shakespeare the (laughs) 10th, who is also an African prince that you'll, (sighs) yeah. (laughs) Okay. Jeffrey Rhodes, I will feel, you'll feel really bad for in a little bit, alongside a lot of the other actors that had to deal with Rex Harrison. So, fun fact, uh, Davis gets the last laugh as his cover of Talk to the Animals was a hit, and this movie killed Harrison's career. Good. Screw you, (laughs) I guess I should say it killed his film career. His stage career was still there, but he was no longer cast as a leading man after Yeah, no, seriously. Like, it's one of those, don't, I don't like it when people get rewarded for bad behavior, so I'm glad that it it blew up in his face. Yeah. So, he would all, Harrison would also throw fits on the set. And he would uh, say a bunch of anti-Semitic shit to his co-star, Anthony Newley, and wanted his role reduced and would disrupt scenes that he was in. Um, And I think this is also including an incident where Rex Harrison drives a yacht into the shot of a scene that he's not in and refuses to move it. What is the deal with this guy? Yeah, it gets worse. What? (laughs) So... During this, he's also hemming and hawing about whether or not he's actually staying with the film. And then at one point, he's gone. So they're like, okay, well, let's try and find somebody else, I guess. So they end up settling on Christopher Plummer from 
sounds familiar. Yes. He sounds really familiar. Yes. That, uh, I know you too, V. It's our second show that we did. Oh, no. Oh, 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 oh. Is he, um... He's the dad from, uh, uh... Sound of Music. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I'll put in a party horn there or something. Spoilers. I might not. So... Back to fuck you, Rex Harrison. So Christopher Plummer is brought in to play him, and then Rex Harrison goes, haha, never mind. So they have to drop you know, Chris Plummer. You know what? No, I feel like I feel like they really should have been like, no, Rex, you're gone. Like They should have. Like, they really, because that's the thing, is the way that this guy, oh man, the way this guy's behaving, it's like, no, like, no, I can, I'm glad that his film career ended yeah. after this. And, it's like, oh, too bad his stage career didn't end either. Yeah, and I'm kind of sitting here like, you know, this is one of those things whenever I see people go, oh, such and such a film wouldn't be made now, or such and such a person wouldn't be a star now. I'm kind of like, good, in cases like this motherfucker here. Yeah, absolutely. So Harris also demanded to re-record all of his songs live on set instead of lip-syncing over them, like in a proper filmed musical. And he, uh... So... he had he had done this after they had to change their location because much like Camelot they had location issues see they wanted to film in England and they didn't care about the fact that England rains for much of the year yeah <laughs> and then they also filmed in St. Lucia and this is where calling it the pestilence of the films comes in um <clears throat> so they had to deal with tropical storms they had to deal with mosquitoes they had to deal with uh the crew all getting super sick from tropical diseases including there. rex like, harrison it, i don't think he got sick but he didn't like, get malaria i know right um but like they just like people were throwing up the whole time and had fevers the whole time and so they had to move their set to la again by this point with all of these issues that I'm about to bring up included, the film cost $17 million. One seven. Seventeen. Yes. $17 million. In 1965. Uh, now it's 66. Okay. Because they're 39 days behind filming schedule. So 1966, schedule. $17 million. I don't know what that is adjusted for inflation. Is that above what is normal I for the time? I believe so. And especially because it does not make that bad. <laughs> I feel um, bad for everybody else who worked on this film, but, you know, screw... In fact... Screw you, Rex. We'll, we'll skip ahead since we're talking money. How much do you think it made? Um, first thing to come to mind was $9 million. On the nose. Really? Yes, nine million. <laughs> that is oh, all it made. That's fantastic. So, um, the film's conductor, Lionel Newman, probably had a place he wanted to stick his baton after <laughs> Rex Harris was like, Do it live! I'm gonna do it, it live! <laughs> so, speaking of location issues, I saw this on Wikipedia and I had to share this anecdote that's about that giant sea slug that you mentioned oh boy 
So, the final scene with the giant snail was complicated, not only by the poor design of the large prop, but because the island's children had recently been struck by a gastrointestinal epidemic caused by freshwater snails, and mobs of angry locals threw rocks at it. <laughs> I, I feel so bad for the people because it's completely unrelated, but then they see this like, you mock our pain. You motherfucker. <laughs> you mock our pain. <laughs> so, I saw it on Wikipedia. I don't know if it's true because I couldn't find a source. I want it to be true. The Wikipedia? The free online encyclopedia that anyone can edit? <laughs> Hello, Gordon. <laughs> All right. So... There are many other filming stories that I found on IMDb, including Harrison getting the nickname Tyrannosaurus Rex (laughs) because he was a tyrannical asshole. But the wildest, no pun intended, have to do with the over 1,200 animals that were hired. Wow. That's more than I would have. And there's a reason. And it's not what you think. Do a lot of animals die? (laughs) Only one died on set. It was a giraffe. Oh, and we'll talk about the giraffes in a minute, but... Do you know, did anyone ever, as far as you know, ever tell Rex Harrison to eat a bag of dicks? I don't think they did. Unfortunate. Yeah. So, on to the animal stories. There's, uh, when they learn that ducks are not waterproof (laughs) year-round. Ha! I don't know how to react because they're waterfowl. I thought that that came with the territory. So some breeds, because it's, you know, it's like migratory stuff and like, oh, well, this time of the year there's less water around. So we're not going to have our waterproofing oils that make us float. So they decided to film during a time when the ducks did not have this waterproofing oil. Because again, at this time, we don't know what birds are. (laughs) We don't know how birds bird. And so they put all these ducks into a pond. They just sink. (laughs) So they have to go in in and rescue these ducks. Oh my god. And it's one of those things that it's like you don't think that, but yeah, no, some breeds of duck that, just, wouldn't... that happens. Like I don't know if it's domesticated oh breeds or I what. I don't know why, but this reminded me of a thing that I'd seen uh years years ago on the internet with a girl who had taken pictures talked about how she saved this turtle who was too far from the lake or whatever or wherever she was. And she took pictures of her, like, say, oh, this is the turtle. Oh, don't he's bye, turtle. Put him in the water. And then her thing was flooded with comments saying, that was a tortoise. They can't no! swim. You killed that tortoise. You Poor drowned tortoise. it. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's what this reminds me of, oh, the ducks. fucking hell. Yeah. So, yeah, the ducks, which the ducks didn't die, they were rescued because they realized their mistake immediately. <laughs> Unlike, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unlike a Camelot having a goose trampled. Um, (laughs) And then uh, there was... So there's a scene that has the squirrel sitting right next to Polynesia the parrot. And Polynesia the parrot gets her own section in this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure not just because she's a parrot. No. (laughs) And the squirrel, they had to tie him down 
onto <gasps> the perch. Oh, God. But then he still was being a squirrel, so they had to drug him. <laughs> and he lasted for like two minutes before he just fell asleep. <laughs> it reminds me of Camelot with Berlin having the drugged owl on his shoulder and his yes. eyes are just droopy. Like, uh I just, I feel so bad for animals in this before they got like their own animal rights rights laws, you know? Yeah. That you can't just murder animals for the sake of the scene. If we were a history of film podcast, I would have us talk about the Noah's Ark film in the 1920s. I think we're not. not. (laughs) Because regular actors did get their rights before animals, Mm. but. Regular actors for a while didn't have rights either. <laughs> and child actors got their rights later. Hopefully everybody gets rights. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, octopodes have... Anyway. Um, <laughs> not going down Please there. Please continue, Kay. All right. Tell us so. about the other terrible things that happened to these poor animals. So here's why it was 1,200 animals. They had to hire a whole new animal cast because of the quarantine laws in England. Ah. <laughs> so they go over there with a well, boat animals. full of animals. They show up and the people at the docks are like, whoa, whoa, whoa! They all have to be in quarantine for six months and they're like, what? <laughs> so they ended up, I assume they ended up hiring all animals that were available in England at the time. <laughs> Just imagine, just imagine oh, somebody going over to going over to a zoo and just being like, "Ken, how much to rent your giraffe?" What? So there, there were also a lot of bitings, <laughs> a lot of shittings, well, a lot of shitting, kicking the set. Because oh, <laughs> these animals are like, "What the fuck? Why are you here?" <laughs> this asshole in the chair like like <laughs> feeling cut just wait for that part <laughs> <laughs> so there's also they had to saddle break a giraffe so that rex harrison could ride it oh my god a giraffe <laughs> no one rides giraffes what about an animal like a giraffe would make you take one look and go, yeah, I could ride that. No, it's going to kick you in the fucking head. You need a ladder to get on the damn thing. So, and I don't think that's the giraffe that died during filming. And I mean, giraffes are very fragile. Let's say the, the, so the fact they had a giraffe at all is amazing. Well, it probably died because it was trying to get away from Rex. Just... <laughs> It's like, death is better. I welcome the void. <laughs> so, by far, though, this is the best animal story from the filming of this. And I'm going <laughs> to quote directly from IMDb. <laughs> I think this is the one that I heard you laughing when you were typing and I was like... No, that was the snail. Okay. <laughs> so... The reluctant vegetarian was one of the hardest scenes to film, mainly because of the number of animals that had to sit still for a lengthy period. The cast had hours of rehearsal and preparation before filming started. The first take went very well until Sir Rex Harrison stopped singing. Director Richard Fleischer asked him why, and Harrison said he heard him yell, CUT! 
Fleischer denied it, and they were starting to argue about it when both heard a voice yell, Cut! <gasps> the guilty party turned out to be Polynesia the parrot. <laughs> yes! That's the... And Harrison said, that's the first time I've ever been directed by a parrot, but she may be right. I probably can do it better. <laughs> Fuck you, Rex. And the thing is, is that... I know that at the time they're probably like, oh, ha ha, the parrot learned a word. Parrot probably was like, nope, cut, fuck this. I met, well, just at the same time, you know, the way like, that... With all the research we've done on parrots now, it's like, it probably knew what it was saying or doing. Take it from the top, Rex. <laughs> Stop being an asshole, Rex. I'm gonna tear out your throat. Polly want a finger. I may do that a little too well. <laughs> so, uh, filming finally completed in April of 1967. Okay. And a sneak preview was shown in September of that year to negative response <laughs> because it was shown to adults and not kids. So then they did a shorter version because one of the big complaints was length. So they cut it down and they showed a shorter edit to kids who... <laughs> also gave it a negative response. <laughs> so they cut it down even more, showed it to another audience that finally got it enough approval to be actually released, like, as a final cut. And so uh, there was an animal strike <clears throat> scene originally that led to legal issues. So remember Helen Winston from earlier? No, but go on. <laughs> Warren, it was 20 minutes ago. I'm sorry. This all happened today. I'm sorry. It's the curse of the witch. It's not my fault. <laughs> so the uh, animal strike scene was originally in Helen Winston's version of Dr. Doolittle. And Bricuse thought it was from the books. So he kept it in. And then they had to settle it out of court. Scene's gone. All it is is mentioned now. So there's a mention of an animal strike, but nothing shown because of this. So critical response was bad. This has a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, wow. Yeah, like critical response. I didn't look at the audience score. Um, but Times or Time Magazine said, somehow, with the frequent but by no means infallible exception of Walt Disney, Hollywood has never learned what so many children's book writers have known all along. Size and a big budget are no substitutes for originality and charm. And then New York Times said <laughs> the music is not exceptional. Uh, the rendering of the songs lacks variety and the pace under Richard Fleischer's direction is slow and without surprise. Leonard Malton, who's a film historian who I adore, I used to, so, be, of course this is me. When I was a kid, I had, like, a film directory of films that Leonard Martin, or Leonard Malton had, uh, <laughs> I can't remember what it's called, and it's probably in the shed somewhere, but it was, it was at my grandparents' house, and so it was just a favorite book to flip through when I was a kid, and just look at him and go, I want to see that. God, you're oh. so damn cute. Thanks. Um, and so he, he basically uh, said the credited this movie with almost bankrupting 20th Century Fox. Oh. 
And uh, again, this is one of the ones that helped kill the Hayes Code era movie musical. Um, <laughs> they also made a fatal error. They had Rex Harrison. Not just that. <laughs> so they released this film two months after Jungle Book had been released and was still in wide release at theaters. So they learned the lesson that everyone else has learned. Never get involved in a land war with Asia. Never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And never go up against Disney with a kid's film. I wish Don Bluth would learn that lesson. <laughs> yeah, his ego won't allow him. So somehow they still tried to get Best Picture. <laughs> they didn't, but they tried. <laughs> yeah. I, I just imagine like trying to get Best Picture. It's like... <clears throat> Somebody involved with the film is sliding the Academy like a note saying, can we have best picture with like a $10 bill stapled to it? You know, please. (laughs) They did like have the Academy members treated to a dinner and stuff trying to court them. And they did get uh, best uh, song and best visual effects, but they were only nominated for best picture and it pissed off a lot of people because they're like, this movie fucking sucked. Why does this get a... Why? Why? Um, it's kind because of like... somebody from the Academy got a blowjob in that. <laughs> so, uh, it's kind of like the Cats movie where they had a for, con- for your consideration page on Universal's website until the critical response and audience response happened, and then they quietly took it away. <laughs> Except Fox didn't do the last part. <laughs> um, there is a stage version. It lasted 400 performances, cost 4 million pounds, and was one of the most expensive shows that was staged in the 90s. And the reason it was so expensive was all the animatronic animals. Oh, animatronics, really? Yeah. I was thinking you just get actors and put them in costume. No. That would have been way better. No. Because then you could even have... No. Okay, never mind. They had a pre-recording of Julie Andrews' Polynesia the Parrot instead of... Yeah. That's not that's not theater, then. Like, that's not live theater. If There's it... a surprising amount of shows that do live recording before... Or not live recording, pre-recordings of lines. Hmm. Uh, Book of Mormon does that with uh, the opening sequence. Okay. That's pre-recorded. Stuff, stuff like that makes sense, yeah. I guess. But yeah, I guess it does happen with characters. And I don't like it, but I understand why they do. But I don't like it. It's still theater. Spider-Man was still theater. <laughs> so... They also remade this with Robert Downey Jr., and I hear it is terrible. See, and that's kind of what I heard, too. Yeah. Just, and I, I wanted to see it initially Same. because, I, you know, I like the uh, Eddie Murphy, Dr. Doolittles. I mean, they're decidedly not musicals. They're just, no, but those um, are amazingly they're, funny. <laughs> they're, they're fun films. And like I said, I remember seeing this when I was a kid. I didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. I just remember I've, I've seen it a total of one time in my entire life. So that should tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh and so I was excited to see Robert Downey Jr. in this remake. And then I when hearing that it just didn't receive well. It's like, okay, well, maybe we'll <laughs> catch it on a streaming service mm-hmm. at some point. If it, I don't know if it's a musical. If it is, maybe we'll revisit Dr. Doolittle and do a head-to-head of who's worse. Yeah, that might be fun to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> not who's better, I mean, who's worse. I always, I don't know. I just knowing what he's like behind the scenes. I hate Rex. Uh, oh Harrison. yeah, no, fuck Rex, fuck <clears throat> Rex Harrison. So, but yeah, he already has the bananas stacked against him. Yep. Well. Oh. What's wrong, Goober? If we could talk to the animals, um, shall we go pour ourselves a stiff drink? Hmm. Saddle up for there's some. A, there's a whimper dog. She's... Yeah, there is a whimper dog. If I could talk to animals, that used to be one of the uh, powers that I wanted when I was a child is to mm-hmm. be able to talk to animals. Yeah. Uh, but then I realized that that doesn't mean that they will have human level conversation. Mm-hmm. I would talk to my dog and I'd go, hey, hey, ball, 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 throw the ball, throw the ball, <laughs> ball, ball. If Latte could speak, she would be, is there a coyote? Coyote, coyote, coyote. Oh, big squeaker. Okay, so let's uh, let's figure out what Watte is trying to say, and then go watch someone who also thinks he knows what animals are trying to say in this week's Tone Deaf. Yay! Hey, Warren. Hey, Kay. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to thank our favorite people in the whole world? Heck yeah! Today, we would like to thank our stage crew sponsor, Jasmine Wu, and our producer circle sponsors, Bianucci, Reagan, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your support of our show. We truly appreciate it. Hey there, new friends. This is Ellen Weatherford. Do you like animals? Do you enjoy arbitrarily rating things out of 10? Can you tolerate puns? If so, join me and my husband Christian over at Just the Zoo of Us for a weekly review of your favorite animal species. Just the Zoo of Us is available on Spotify, iTunes, and other podcast apps. You can find us at anchor.fm slash just the zoo of us. See you soon. And now, the lights are going down and the music's starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show. Alright, babe, so what did you think? I remember why I liked it when I was a child, Uh but I also remember why it didn't really stick with me as a... I got older. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, this, this show, I don't think, I don't think it's bad, and I don't think it's as bad as, like, say, Camelot. Yeah. Um, does that mean I think it's really good? No. Um. It's not the worst of the horsemen. It's not the worst. I think that, uh, Rex... Harrison, Harris, mm-hmm. Harrison, Harrison can whose still... name I kept flip flopping in the opening. Sorry about that. Nah, he can <laughs> still go fuck himself. <laughs> He's dead, true. right? Yes. Okay. Good. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do want to make one uh, correction to an earlier statement uh, about the ducks. I was mostly going off of what the set stuff was, that, oh, the ducks lost their waterproofing. I don't know for sure if, because I think, I thought that it was going to be like penguins, how when uh, I was working at the aquarium, the penguins weren't allowed in the water when they were molting because 
they lost all their waterproofing, but it sounds like it's more of an oil gland condition in domestic ducks that causes them to sink, so I don't know. I don't know why the ducks sank, but yeah, the ducks still sank. It's just, <laughs> it might not have been due to migratory habits. I felt I needed to correct that because while I am a bird person, I'm not a waterfowl person. <laughs> no, it just made me laugh because when you were saying that, I just started thinking of these ducks in water just being like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> just... And, you know, I'm glad nothing, nothing bad happened to him, but just mm -hmm. the, that made me laugh. Yeah, no, a lot less animal cruelty in this movie. <laughs> Which is good. Mm-hmm. All right. So, the movie opens up the way it should have stayed. A black screen with only music. <laughs> That's a little too harsh, but I thought it was funny. This second, <laughs> this reminds me a bit of 2001 A Space Odyssey, except that movie was ahead of its time. <laughs> At 2 minutes and 40 seconds, the show switches from a black screen only to a cartoonish scene with tribal-esque art styles of animals. This is at the time, it's at this time that I'm glad I took an extra hit of acid. <laughs> that explains a lot of things about last night. <laughs> Anyways, the opening credits conclude and we find ourselves in Puddly Marsh, England, or some shit. Anyways, Matt, our, who I think was gonna be our hero. Anyway, this Irishman named Matt is telling this little boy, Tom, to move his cart or he'll beat him. Especially because Tom <laughs> is talking about selling his grandfather's watch and running off with Matt to China. Oh, by the way, Matt is Irish and he seems to make a bunch of references to that. Oh, and he's also the secretary of Irish ducks. Speaking of which, Matt saves a duck from a fisherman who was planning on eating him. Matt says he's going to take the duck to Doolittle, who, as we know, is an animal doctor. However, this man, who is a doctor, an animal doctor, <laughs> should not be trusted on any, any other subject, as Matt <laughs> is quick to point out in song form, the sun is cheddar cheese and eats the moon every month, which is made of apple pie. <laughs> I mean, I get that this is a period in time before NASA and the moon landing and all that good space stuff. However, <laughs> if I had a doctor who told me this, I'd find a new doctor. This was also before medicine existed. Yeah, this is true. This is back in the era of, uh, we just need to bleed you. Mm, or uh, your uterus is wandering. I, I have some jokes about that. <laughs> oh, um, no! So Oh, and the stars are made of lemon drops, and the bigger ones are lollipops. You know... Oh, and rain is pink champagne. <laughs> but who are you and I to disagree, Kay? Who? Who are you and I to disagree with a doctor who talks to animals? Who are you? I really want to know. Uh... <laughs> What were you going to say? Were you going to say something? That was gone? It's gone. All right, if it comes back. We'll see. Oh, hey, we're at Doolittle's place, and uh, we have a chimp named Chi-Chi and a parrot named Polynesia. Uh, is every animal in this film going to have an alliteration for their name? Uh, <laughs> I love alliterations, but here they kind of seem a little lazy. Right, They're right up there with Barry the Bear and Squirrely the Squirrely and... Rabbity the rabbit. Hey, Barry the bear is a great name for a bear, and don't insult Latte's toys like that. Oh, she's looking right at me, too. She's like, stop calling them out, Dad. 
Most of them only have half their limbs and fluff. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Matt and Tom enter the Doolittle estate and happen upon the good doctor, who is trying to talk to Goldfish via bubbles. Uh. Let it be known that Kay is trying not to yell at the screen over the poor treatment of the goldfish. As, yeah. As uh, Kay can go on hefty uh, uh, educational rants about the mistreating of goldfish and how they actually require far more water than most people think. And if Kay ever sees you with a goldfish in a goldfish bowl, you best be running as quick as you can. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try not to rant about that, but yeah... That pissed me off, and I think by this point, we were still getting a little bit more husbandry with goldfish. <laughs> in fact, there was already husbandry with goldfish in uh, China and in Japan, so there should have been... I just... Continue. <laughs> anyway... Matt astutely inquires as to what the benefit of conversation, uh, what benefit of conversation can be obtained with goldfish. And Doolittle launches into that he wants to find the giant pink sea snail, and if he finds it, he'll want to talk to it. But to do that, he has to learn how to speak ancient shellfish, which is really, really difficult. So he thought he would start with something simple, like goldfish, and mackerel, and the common fish languages, apparently. Do you think if you translated the bubbles correctly, they'd sound like pirates? Do you think they're pirate fish? <laughs> Not goldfish, but uh, fun fact, uh, a lot of the uh, communication that's verbal from fish can come from swim bladders, like use, utilizing the air exchange through there or something like that. I So read they it, fart to communicate? Basically. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I had read it at one point, but the like apparently goldfish don't do that and they're still trying to figure out how they communicate because hmm. you know they're just now going oh wait they have more than a three second memory and mm -hmm. oh they're actually really smart so i remember that getting busted on mythbusters because they showed you could teach them tricks and mm -hmm. stuff and mine would recognize me every time i came up to the you were food god and yeah they would they would pile on each other like puppies and they swim through your me. fingers mm-hmm Kay used to have some monster goldfish, guys. Yeah, I stopped hand-feeding them after one of them swallowed a finger. They were big. Anyway, <laughs> Doolittle talks to the duck and is like, quack, quack, and puts the duck in a cupboard because its wing is hurt, and the duck got separated from its wife. They had a row. Yeah. The, she, she caught him with his uh, pecker in another nest, you know. <laughs> I mean... He was, he was fishing another well, if you catch my drift. So he was being a duck. He was being a duck. <laughs> being a dirty, dirty quackin' whore. Uh, <laughs> Doolittle, to his credit, seems to be a pretty good host. His guests are all sopping weight, wet from the uh, pink champagne rain from earlier. <laughs> and so they strip down and suck on some sausages and bacon while, <laughs> while Doolittle is like, I'm a vegetarian, because I can talk to the animals, and if they see me eat meat... They get all upset and shit. But because I won't eat meat, they steal my veggies when I'm not looking. It's bullshit, and I get angry, and I want to eat them. <gasps> but then I hear little piggy's cries of fear, and alas, I am a committed but reluctant vegetarian. <laughs> Fair. If I could talk to animals, I might not eat meat either. However, 
That might also depend on the level of conversation. As I joked earlier, if I could talk to my dog, it would probably be a sadder and more terrifying conversation than anything else since she's a PTSD rescue. Yes, however, former feral. I did just think of something, though. If I could talk to animals, I could find out which ones were the assholes and I would eat them. <laughs> hey, hey, Warren, quack. Uh, Rosita over there is a bitch. Go eat her, fat boy. <laughs> Oh, I'm getting distracted. Since this last, <laughs> since the last scene, Doolittle has had an English spat with his sister, who is upset that there are geese in the linen. Oh, so this is a flashback. I forgot to mention, uh, but he's having a spat with his sister because she's like he's hired her to be his maid or whatever. Because this is the time in history where women weren't allowed to be anything other than an other. Yeah. So yeah, you know. So she is upset that there are geese in the linen closet and mice in the drawer and grass snakes somewhere. I missed it. Anyways, <laughs> Doolittle is recounting how he became a veterinarian. Doolittle was a bad doctor, perhaps the worst people doctor. He doesn't care about people at all. He likes animals way more than people. <laughs> Which yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've never seen a dog give a Nazi salute, so I'm. This is true. I'm just thinking about future scenes that I'm like, mm, he mm. does like animals way more than people. Oh, I've got plenty to say about that. <laughs> Doolittle takes some advice from his parrot, Polynesia, and decides to become an animal doctor, since the parrot is over 100 years old and knows more than 2,000 animal languages, because the animals meet regularly, apparently, in some kind of council about how and when they'll overthrow their human overlords and seek Gaia's strength to ascend to the next tier of evolution and take the <laughs> dominant place on the planet and repeat the cycle of where was i um doolittle takes advice from his parrot and becomes an animal doctor with her help and we get the if i could walk with the animals song it's not a bad scene it's pretty good overall uh polynesia teaches doolittle how to say good morning to every animal on his estate the song concludes, and we are back with Matt and Tom sucking on sausages in an animal hoarder's house. <laughs> Doolittle tells them goodnight, <laughs> since he gets up with the animals at 5 a.m. I hear that, Doolittle. For a number of years, I've worked the very early shifts, uh, except for right now. Kay and I are working a little later in the day, be more aligned with the sun, all that good stuff. Kay is, uh, stuck on sucking sausages, apparently. In an animal hoarder's house. And that is the most accurate <laughs> He's an animal hoarder. Like, I mean... I, I mean, he cares for the animals, and they're not being neglected, and he's helping them. They take care of themselves. He doesn't care for them. Well, well I mean... But he you mentions seem like, that. You seem like feeding them yeah, and stuff like but that. but he mentions that, that, oh no, they take care of themselves. I'm like, uh... <laughs> oh god, what was the comment you made in the first half of the show, uh, talking about how there was just... Lots of animal poop. It just mm -hmm. you have all these. Oh, I bet the set just smelled. That would have been the hardest part. Is just yeah, yeah. I that would oh, that would be bad. I it was funny though that they uh, were smart enough to have the most uh, trainable parrot species, oh, like I, the, uh, the blue and gold. Blue and gold. 
when when I was helping with rescues, uh, they were kind of the most easygoing out of all of the parrots. Like they still could take your finger. Oh yeah, but a big ass hook beak. They were the more likely to not bite you if you came too close to the cage, or not stick their hand their uh, foot out and be like, "Hold my." hold my foot, hold my foot, now I'm going to drag your hand in and bite it so that I can hump your hand. <laughs> I still have a scar. Was that Stephen? No, it was Stanley. Stanley. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, yeah. Blue and gold macaws. Chill. Still shouldn't be pets, but more chill. Uh, Kiwi was a blue and gold. I remember, okay, Kiwi. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I, I remember, know what blue and golds are. I'm trying to think, because was Ralph a yep, blue and Ralph gold? Ralph was also a blue and gold. Sometimes I get the blue and golds and the scarlets mixed up in my head. I just mean, like, I, not, I didn't mean like that. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's scarlets and green wings that yes, I get mixed scarlets up. scarlets and green wings. Because they look exactly the same, except for green tips on their wing. Okay. <laughs> This has gone into accidental ornithologist talk with Kay, and Warren is only, only, barely, slightly more competent with birds than he is with music and musical theater. Uh, barely. Like, a hair. Because I had to come up with a uh, 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 little, little lim- not, I guess, limerick, but... Afraid. Mnemonic devices. Mnemonic device to remember the difference between a parakeet... No, a cockatoo and a cockatiel. Mm-hmm. Because teal tiny and too tall. Yes. Yeah. Now, how many freaking years did it take for me to <laughs> learn the difference between a cockatoo and a cockatiel, Kay? <laughs> oh, goddamn. This scene might be one of the very best scenes in the entire show. It is either the best scene or the second best scene, at least in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. This scene is Tom helping out in Doolittle's makeshift animal clinic. And it's it's actually really cute. <laughs> I really like this scene. This. Uh, we get to see um oh yeah so so uh Tom is helping out and do helping out Doolittle in his makeshift animal clinic where he works for whatever the animals can pay. Milk, bones, piles of hair and excrement. <laughs> Doolittle is the personification of pro bono. <laughs> We see a cow with some gastrointestinal issues, a mouse with a bent tail, a poor mom fox whose husband was murdered by a rich English douche who was hunting foxes and then killed her husband and left her alone with three pups, and they come to Doolittle and it's sad. Mm -hmm. Doolittle is then treating a plow horse who is nearsighted. Uh, Doolittle has made the horse special glasses, which are fucking adorable. Right? big square frames on the horse. (sighs) Okay. And we also see a cute lab with a thing on its tail. And I think to myself, Daw, this dog lost his tail. <laughs> and since tail wagging is an important part of dog communication, Doolittle made this pupper a fake tail so he could still express. And then Kay tells me, no, that's, that's a feather duster on the dog's tail so that he can clean. Anyways, we now get our first look at uh, who could be the closest facsimile for a villain in this Mm -hmm. show. Uh, The general, 
General Fuckface. <laughs> General Fuckface barges into Doolittle's office crying, Thief! That's his horse, and Doolittle stole him. Fuckface is going to sue Doolittle, and Doolittle is in trouble because Fuckface is the local magistrate. Fuckface, that seems like a conflict of interest to me. It does. <laughs> But, you know, this is before the time of, like, real laws. <laughs> Fuckface sees the foxes and is like, must murder, pretty creature, and moves in towards the foxes. Doolittle swoops in and rescues the pups and their mom, all while telling Fuckface to go fuck his own face. Fuckface then fucks off, and Fuckface's niece is like, I'm ashamed that I'm the niece of Fuckface, and even though I don't like Fuckface, I can't stand a human who would treat animals better than people. Doolittle tells niece Fuckface, who I learned from Kay was invented for this version and is not in the book at all, to piss off. Niece piss off, stops, stomps off, and Matt is like, I'd tap that. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite bits in that is when... Uh... The mother fox gets away uh, from Mr. Fuckface, from the general Fuckface, <laughs> uh, and he is trying to call the hounds onto her, and she goes in through a little cat door, basically, right. into a barn. And so he sends the dogs into the barn, and then the dogs come hauling out like, nope, 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 because of skunks from the North American Fox Protection Society. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up because that was really great to see in uh, Doolittle talks about that they have a partnership and what was it? They have one fox with every, you know, one skunk with every fox family or whatever. Mm -hmm, during to, the hunting season. To help throw the the fox, the hounds off of the fox's scent kind of thing. And I was mm -hmm. like, that's, I like that. That's mm -hmm. cool. Thank you for bringing that up, Cam. Why, you're that. welcome. It's a great scene. <laughs> Okay, so Matt would totally tap the niece. Uh, <laughs> we then see Angry Niece, who was invented just to be a redeemable character later, stomps off to talk about, well, I should say, to Angry Sing about how if she had a dick, she'd kill Doolittle. But because she doesn't have a dick, she can't or won't, or both. Doesn't matter. I mean, that's the whole song. She's like, if I was a man, I'd yeah. beat him up. If I was a man, I'd... Then she talks about how she'd love to watch him die. Yeah. And be executed. And it's just like, holy fuck, lady. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's got a wandering uterus. Matt just needs to get in there and get that uterus back in place. <laughs> this is the time frame of hysteria, right? Yeah. So that's some good medical science right there. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyways. Doolittle gets a big-ass package, and it contains a conjoined llama. A push me pull you, including a pictographic scroll that indicates Fuck. that indicates that some illiterate, obscure Tibetan tribe is friends with Doolittle and is sending him this double llama so he can profit off of it and raise money to go on his snail hunting quest. Doolittle yes. takes double llama to the circus to exploit it for profit. Right. And immediately upon seeing it, the circus leader, ringmaster guy, is like, I'll give you whatever you want. If Doolittle had whispered into the... If Doolittle had been like, whisper, 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 the llama wants you to blow it. The ringleader, circus master, would have been like, does it have one or two? Because he can already taste that money. Do you have who the uh, ringleader was? written in your notes no because you told me who it was and i immediately was kind of like oh, fa, 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 fa. hammond 
And I don't... Who's Hammond again? No! Yes, that's Richard Attenborough. That's right, because I recall you talking about this is where he got his uh, desire to get more exotic animals and that lead him down the path to Jurassic Park. Because he started with a flea circus. Now he has a real circus. Jurassic Park is the next step. Therefore... No, double Llama is what double bridged, llama, yeah, is what bridged is what the gap it. between the real circus and Jurassic Park. So, because then he had his mind explode. He was like, <gasps> anything is possible. Dinosaurs could be real again. Mm-hmm. I need a Japanese scientist. And in, in this essay, I will talk about how Dr. Doolittle is a prequel to Jurassic Park. <laughs> okay. The double llama makes some negotiations with circus ring leader master and come to the agreement and come to an agreement for three shows a day with four on Saturday. After doing some double llama breakdancing, they learn... <laughs> That he learned from the... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, I can't do that. That'll be too bad. Okay. (laughs) Double llama breakdancing that they learned from the steep streets of Everest. Everyone is happy and Ring Circus Master Leader looks at himself in the mirror and gets horny for money. During this time, we see Angry Niece. She's angry, and she's enjoying... She's angry that she's enjoying this double llama show, which, in case anyone is wondering, is way more family-friendly than a double donkey show. (laughs) Don't ask me how I know, Kay. All right? It was another time. I was another person. I had a life before I met you. Also, Tijuana, just about anything goes there. (laughs) Anyways, Angry Niece angrily goes to confront Doolittle, who apparently helps with the animal training in the circus, because communication. Except the seal that he's trying to help is getting pummeled in the face with balls. Well, (laughs) one ball, but that's not the point. It's still unpleasant for her. Angry Niece is like, You're a common animal abuser, you fraud! Doolittle is like, Oh, it's you again. Please go away. And Matt has a song to convince Angry Niece not to be angry at Doctor. And less Angry Niece was like, I never thought of it that way, because my character has the complexity of a wet paper bag. Because I was written in for just this version of the performance, I'm just here to be a female character with a sh- with a shallow puddly depth. In Puddleby. In Puddleby. Anyways, Doolittle is doing some reading on the seals and finds out in this book that seals are sentimental and do not like to be away from their family. And he goes to talk. Fucking book. See, I have this. I okay. I don't know if okay. Let's see. Uh, I guess I didn't put it in my note, but I wanted to be like, if Doolittle, who can talk to animals, has to read books to figure out things that might be wrong with animals instead of yeah. talking to the animals, why the fuck is the movie not about the guy who wrote the goddamn book? Right? <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> who it was that asked seals that they're because I'm pretty sure that uh Sophie is one of many for her husband. Mm. 
There you go. Remember, we learned this and sealed with a kiss. Why did you have to fuck that movie? Anyways, (laughs) this is not about a rant of Disney imitation Romeo and Juliet knockoff. No, but I think it was a musical and we could totally cover it. God, was it a musical? it was. Oh. Oh, I think I'd have to have like three hits of acid to take that again. Uh, Just a disclaimer. I don't actually do acid. I just think it's funny. So... Okay, I'm going to back up. Anyways, Doolittle is doing some research on seals and finds out in this book that seals are sentimental and don't like being kept away from their family. And he goes to talk to the seal, who Kay reminded me is named Sophie, mm-hmm. and ask what and ask what's wrong. Sophie is like, I miss my husband. But in seal noises, Doolittle decides to help smuggle Sophie out of the circus and escort her to the sea by cleverly stealing an old woman's clothing and wrapping the seal in her disguise. They stealthily stealth their way onto a carriage and ride out from the greater populace. (laughs) Doolittle escorts the land seal to the cliffside and stares into her eyes saying, Don't cry. Men can't stand a woman who cries. Then he sings romantically into the seal's face (laughs) and laments that if only she was not a seal, he would totally tap that. Seriously! Which is good, because I'm super glad that Dr. John Doolittle loves animals and cares about them emotionally, but draws the line at fucking them. I am super happy to report that. That is a definite positive for this show. That scene is probably my favorite as an adult just because of how fucking great it is. Just bizarre. Just <laughs> he's holding this seal and looking at it's a shame you're not a human and then <laughs> just tosses her into the water. Oh, after he gives her a big old kiss. Yeah, he kisses, kisses her. her on the fucking mouth. <laughs> Anyways, people saw Doolittle throw a human garbed object off a cliff after kissing it and they are like, Why'd you throw her into the ocean? To which our innocent doctor says, she missed her husband. Which is just (laughs) so great on several serial killer killer kinds of ways. Like, anyways, Doolittle finds himself in court, (laughs) bluntly saying, it was not a human woman I threw off the cliff. It was a seal I smuggled with some clothing I stole to disguise it, but in a less incriminating way. Magistrate Fuckface is like, Gah, first my horse, now you're murdering women by throwing them off of cliffs. Doolittle is like, well, it was a seal, and she told me to throw her into the ocean after singing a, after I sang a love song and kissed her. <laughs> but less incriminating. <laughs> Doolittle is like, near bestiality and theft aside, I did not <laughs> kill anyone. I'm a vegetarian. I can prove it by not eating bacon and talking to whatever animal you want me in a beast talker challenge. Goddamn. General Fuckface is like, okay, my dog is here. Bring him in and ask him what I had for dinner. The dog is like, yo, this motherfucker ate two fish, four pheasants, a bunch of potatoes, and like a whole pie with whipped cream on top. Fuck this fucker. (laughs) I mean, woof, 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 woof. Fuckface, in fuckface fashion, is like, that's a lie. I only ate 90% of what the dog said I ate. And everyone laughs at fuckface for being a fuckface. <laughs> fuckface then bounces back uh, bounces back with 
with, uh, Court is adjourned until I think of a way to weasel out of this and get revenge on the man who humiliated me in my seat of power. God. Which is exactly what happens. Because we mm. come back to the court and Fuckface ascends uh, his douchebaggery level with acquitting Doolittle of his of theft and murder charges, but only because he and his colleagues think Doolittle is... <laughs> this is a dumb joke, so... Huh... <sighs> They absolve him of his murder and theft charges because they think Doolittle is sanity little. <laughs> they condemn him to spend the rest of his life in an insane asylum, and Doolittle tries to change Fuckface's heart with the power of song. <gasps> but Fuckface has no heart. He has only another Fuckface where his heart should be. <laughs> the bailiff, or whatever, escorts Doolittle, stage left being escorted by a long-sleeved white jacket. Matt and no longer angry niece, potential love interest, along with Tom, are looking at the plans to the asylum and how they're going to break Dr. Doolittle out. So I, the correction here, I think he's still in the courthouse, but in like a holding area in yeah. the courthouse. And so they're going to snatch him during the transition where they're moving yeah. him from the courthouse to the asylum. But I didn't realize that at the time of writing this. That's okay. Matt has a... Your character, Angry Niece, exists only for my character to get laid, song. And we transition into <laughs> Doolittle's Eleven, or however many animals, let's see, the chimp to grab the keys, the horses on the carriage to carry the doctor away, and the parrot to tell the cop horses not to chase. And that's, that's it, yeah. So they overthrow. <clears throat> this is where the acid starts to kick in, and I, I <laughs> go on a bit of a journey. So maybe you can uh, elaborate a little bit for the audience. In this scene, Matt has a song that he sings to uh, whatever her name is, niece. Yeah, and it's very forgettable. That's my issue, mm -hmm. too. But I got the feeling in this song it was them kind of bonding. And I thought for sure the niece was going to be set up to be with Matt. Because he eye fucks her the whole movie. He I does. Was, I was noticing there'd be plenty of times that he'd like look at her and I'd see his eyes go down and then back up. And mm. I'm like... I mean, if that's your type, like, yeah, pompous and prissy. That's, that's, that's excellent. Anyways, so let's see if I can uh, handle this in a coherent fashion. <laughs> so the parrot is there to tell the cop horses not to chase and that this, this is the day they overthrow the human regime and take their rightful place upon Gaia's throne and seize the power of the ages for them. So... <laughs> So Doolittle's Handful. This is more, instead of Doolittle's Eleven, it's like Doolittle's Handful. <laughs> so, Doolittle's Handful successfully saves him from a life of talking to mice, birds, and maybe roaches. I don't know. And a definite increase in the pole of madness, dragging Doolittle into the darkness. But now, hey, he's preparing to set out on his pink snail quest and leave this life of crime behind. Doolittle sees angry niece in the kitchen cooking and is like, What's this angry niece doing here? And she's like, I'm here to look after Tom, because he's a child. And Matt wants to engage in prolonged and deep conversation with me over a reasonable courting relationship. And because I'm a woman, I can cook. <laughs> I know you're a vegetarian, so I made you seaweed pies. And all three of the males eat... And all three of the males eat angry niece's pie while she... <laughs> 
while she initiates the song of, uh, like, can we go see all sorts of cool places? And Doolittle is like, no, bitch, no. We're going looking for my pink sea snail. I'm wanted in England. I'm wanted in England for being criminally insane. Don't try to stop me from finding my snail. Also, women are not allowed on boats, so you can't come with us. Angry niece is like, then call me angry nephew then. And Doolittle is like, okay. And we see angry nephew helping with all the hard boat labor and not pulling and uh, and not only pulling her weight, she's definitely pulling Doolittle's share since he's abducting random fish to interrogate them on if they know where the pink sea snail is. Hey, Kay, what would you do if a stranger snatched you up with a net and went, do you know John? And then dumped you out of the net and disappeared. How would that feel? Because that's pretty much what he's doing to these fish. I mean, this is the equivalent of, like, not all fish know each other, dude. The ocean's really big. Doolittle is also diving down to show picture cards to an octopus to ask him if he's seen John, the giant pink sea snail. It's the name of my new original children's book that's going to be out this Christmas, wherever fictional books are not sold. Anyways, Doolittle yells at the, Doolittle yells at a montage of sea creatures if they've seen John, the giant pink sea snail, out this Christmas season. And they're like... And then the animals are like... Because we don't actually see what they say. We don't actually get to hear what they say and uh, just see Doolittle's uh, reacting to what they've said. What happens if Doolittle gets the dude bro version of a dolphin who sends him into a... Son of a bitch! The animals are trying to kill Dr. Doolittle! <laughs> the renegade faction of animals who want to sit on Gaia's throne built atop a mountain of human skulls and feast on the generations of the unworthy. The animal usurpers send Doolittle and his motley crew right into the storm on the high seas, which destroys the ship and sends everyone into the briny deep. <laughs> the Doolittle crew, however... And critters all seem to survive the wreckage, clinging to the driftwood. <sighs> While they ask, again, for directions from the local wildlife, who I'm sure they can totally trust and are, <laughs> and are not now, at this moment, moving against us to destroy humanity and claim the mantle of domination. I do have to say, one of my favorite lines from the moment right before the shipwreck... <laughs> Was him talking about how, oh, the rat's saying that the ship's going to go down soon, so he's doing as his people do and leaving the ship, and he suggests we do the same. Oh, I missed that part. <laughs> and it was just such a great little touch about ship rats. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <sighs> Fuck, where was I? Um... <laughs> The movie gets so weird after the course. Uh, see, that's the thing, is that I feel like my mind started to wander because I remember, that was the thing, I remember being a kid and like right up to the court scene, I actually quite enjoyed the movie. And then afterwards, I started to become, uh, what does my imagination have to say about this? <laughs> so I created some subplots. The Doolittle crew wash up on an island and are trying and start trying to build shelter and whatnot. Kay and I have played Ark, so we know what it's like waking up near naked on a beach. 
Anyways, nice <laughs> you niece. You have to punch a tree. <laughs> you have to punch a tree to get wood. That's right. Which slight tangent? There's rocks everywhere. Shouldn't the very first tool you get be a rock? Seriously. And you could just hit a tree with a chunk of rock? Ancestors fucking does it. Why can't art? Because these are genetically engineered superhumans. They can punch a tree down. Anyways. Whatever. Nice niece is like, I really have been waiting for you so long to, to tell you, to tell you. Do you like me? Do you hate me? Do you love me? Do you loathe me? Do you, do you, do you complete me or do you defeat me? To which I'm confused. Wasn't yeah. the niece hungry for uh, Matt's lucky charms? Uh, <laughs> now she's actually, now she's like, actually, I like older men. A little bit of gray puts me on my way. And then I have it in here, pause for K reaction. <laughs> Uh, because our listeners may not know, I've given Kay shit for years because Kay's a, uh, Kay has a thing for, for older, older men with smile lines, <laughs> grandfatherly figures, let's put it that way. Hey, now it hasn't been, a, it hasn't been a thing for a while, <laughs> but I will never let you forget. Yes. One of my hey. first crushes was Johnny Carson. <laughs> yes. I had a crush on Leslie Nielsen. Yes. They have a little bit of a minor crush on Keir DeLay still. Mm-hmm. But... Anyways. <laughs> they sing and Doolittle is like, I, I guess I do like you. I'm making it confusing and unclear as I wax poetically and make sexually ambiguous compliments about how you're beautiful and your eyes are deep and reveal your soul and you're like, young even for matt so you're like moving in on john and this is <clears throat> and if you're moving in on john and his doolittle angry <laughs> niece is flirting with doolittle okay you're fine um because this scene was weird the notes get a little gibberish here this was really weird and i kind of wonder if rex harrison was like i need to have the love interest for me not yeah, for maybe he's such a prima donna he's like i want to kiss a woman young enough to be my daughter Ugh. <sighs> anyways so angry niece who is now nice niece is flirting with doolittle doolittle after the song when a spear flies at them and lands <sighs> at their feet they're oddly formal but reserved odd horny and <laughs> Their oddly formal but reserved, odd, horny energy had distracted them from the 20 angry dark natives in elaborate headdresses holding spears moving in on the duo. Oh, no, no. The do duo. That's what they are. Do duo. Do duo. God damn it. And surround them. Kay and I were at least both proud that there was not blackface. Yeah. Uh, that's where we are. actually used black people. That's where we are at this moment in time. At least no one is painted. God. Anyways. Doolittle and his do-nots are do-nothing in the prison of a floating island. Yes, a floating island. I forgot to mention that before because I missed it, and uh, I guess I can only handle so much at any given time before my brain skips a beat or a song. <laughs> a local man comes to the prison to see Doolittle and his do-still-lives, only to be mocked in such a embodiment of the most racist shit in the book that was oh. edited out of the movie edited out for the movie uh doolittle does the me do little you dumb savage 
take smart Doolittle to pink sea snail. And the, just, yeah. Yeah. He does that whole thing. Like, if you speak slower and louder, they'll understand. It, it, ah, but it could have been worse. (laughs) It could have been worse. And, uh, the man, William Shakespeare the 10th. Mm-hmm. William Shakespeare the 10th. They do explain why. Anyways, William Shakespeare the 10th is like, how, white man? And, <laughs> and lets them out of prison for being like, our floating island is like Willy, Wong- Willy Wakanda. <laughs> but with animals and culture and shit instead of technology. But you brought the storm, see, but you brought the storm and the ice and all of our animals have a cold. Unless you can fulfill this prophecy, tradition, religious thing. You can live. Otherwise, you're gonna die like 10,000 deaths time 10,000 screams. Doolittle is like, oh, that sounds rather unpleasant. It was, God, it was so... <laughs> very, very, like, tropey um, natives, and... but also because their island is floating, they're, like, super cultured and shit because they meet lots of people and... And shipwrecks wash up books, and so, like, everyone names their kids after their favorite uh, writers, and so he's William Shakespeare the Tenth because he was named for William Shakespeare, like, long line of that. And I I do love, though, the thing that he says after Doolittle is doing the stupid-ass, me, Doolittle, he's just like, strange accent. Yeah, that's what he did. <laughs> strange accent. <laughs> I just like the how, white man. Um, <laughs> it just, God. Uh, and just going between like, oh, we have all this culture, but also, ooh, scary superstition. Yeah, and yep. I'm just like, fuck you. Yep. I have some, I have some comments about other things that happen regarding that, 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 yeah. Okay. 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 Doolittle is like, oh, that sounds rather unpleasant. Then he goes on about helping the animals of the island, as well as asking a whale to give the island a push. Give the island a push. Give the island a pu-pu-pu-pu-pu-pu-pu-pu-pu. Huh. I think my my brain skipped a beat or a song. Yes, it did. Anyways. Haven't seen that happen before. The whale pushes the island... Which somehow caused some volcanic activity. <laughs> the thing that that's floating and not connected to the mantle via magma chambers of any kind. Anyways, that volcano, that magic volcano, happens to have a boulder balancing on the edge of the volcano. And it falls in. And that turns out to be a, uh, a bad thing. A very bad thing for this very sophisticated Shakespearean Black Island people still participating in ritualistic human sacrifice because they are sticklers for tradition, apparently. We then see Doolittle and the Do Not Have Long to Live crew tied to posts (laughs) as these sophisticated nomadic island people level spears and prepare to murder them. Yeah. Luckily for everyone in the film, the floating island crashes into its motherland, fatherland, parental landmass, <laughs> and the two pieces lock together. And Shakespeare the Tenth is like, holy shit, you fulfilled the hard mode prophecy. This, 
This undoes the rock falling into the volcano prophecy, and he orders the pale faces be freed. And it's like, oh, it's separated from a part of Africa for 5,000 years. I'm like, what? <sighs> why? Yeah, why and how? <sighs> and, and, <sighs> this, like, after the courtroom scene, <laughs> it, gets it gets so fucking weird and insulting to your intelligence even for the time it's one of those things that i can see why like adults were like well this is fucking dumb and kids were like this Mm -hmm. is fucking dumb so it's like and i'm kind of like what was the long cut yeah what was the long cut (laughs) anyways the pale faces are freed and everyone is super happy they're not dead from spear stabbings just in time for the final battle the bloodthirsty animals who want to kill all humans and s- and have sent their secret weapon john the giant pink sea snail available this christmas season in all stores that sell fictional books john the snail is a very dated puppet uh that honestly <laughs> come on 17 million? You spent 17 million on this and you have this puppet? <laughs> Anyways, <sighs> Dr. Do Fulfill Prophecies talks to the snail and the snail is like, I'm thirsty. Give me a drink. And Dr. Doolittle, <laughs> Dr. Do a lot to ultimately do little, helps the snail get a drink. The snail is like, Oh my god, thank you so much. I was so thirsty. What can I do to repay you? Oh, I know. I can take you out into the middle of the ocean and drown you. I mean, take you back to your human cesspool of animal enslavement. Doolittle is like, I can't go back, Mr. Snail. Back home, people think I'm crazy. Why? Well, because I talk to animals and they don't. Huh. That means if you stumbled across a secret animal kingdom plot to bathe our young in the blood of your species, you'd be the only human who could warn the others before all pieces of the plan have moved into place and poised to strike. (laughs) Oh, oh my, well, that is a rather specific, isn't it? Um, well, luckily for me, I'm condemned to live on this island this no longer island with these sophisticated and civilized ritualistic serial murderers <laughs> but please take my three friends back to our human empire jesus christ <laughs> i like my version better <laughs> dr do sacrifices his friends to the ancient sea snail in place of himself to position in the new war that is coming is like matt tom Angry, horny niece or nephew, whoever you are right now, come over here. You're going to ride this snail, John, John's shell, all the (laughs) way back to England. There's food and uh, it will take some time crawling along the sea floor. So you should shit all that you can right now because space is going to be a premium for a while. Angry, horny niece, nephew, is sad when Doolittle tells her... <laughs> nephew. Nephew. You beat me. God damn it, you beat me too. <laughs> because I... Okay, I have a joke about that. Oh, uh, it's, a, it's okay, you're just great. So, angry, horny niece, nephew, is sad when Doolittle tells her he's not going with them and that he's staying here on this tiny piece of tectonic crust, which apparently is actually floating on the surface of the water... Angry niece goes full horny and kisses Dr. Try Not to Think About Fucking a Married Seal. (laughs) 
before she turns around and enters John, the giant pink snail, available this Christmas across the entire country, including Canada and Mexico, at all retailers who specialize in imaginary children's literature. <laughs> This, of course, comes after the good doctor tells her that he's just doesn't get along with humans and he prefers the company of animals more than people and that he has a thing for a married seal which he wishes would he would have told her to stay with him. He could see in her eyes she wanted him to ask, but he knew how much he loved her and knew that her husband loved her too. And in another life, he would want the seal to do the same for him. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Matt and the Matt the Blue Balls and Tom I've seen way too much in my short life. <laughs> and confused horny Nisfew set out for England inside the shell of John, the giant pink sea snail. Available this Christmas season. Get your free digital copy of John the Giant Pink Sea Snail on your handheld device with each purchase of the hard copy. The next 200 <laughs> The next 200 listeners who pre-order in the next 30 days will be entered in a contest to earn a pre-release copy of the sequel to John's next adventure, John, the Giant Pink Sea Snail, and the Temple of Human Doom. <laughs> Where John will discover the long-held dark secrets of the human race, and maybe even learn how to stop them once and for all. Appropriate for all ages, will contain themes of genocide and satanic imagery. Makes a great gift for all young readers. Anyways, John, the giant pink sea snail, takes, takes the human back to England, because sometime later, the good doctor receives a missive from a seagull, delivering news that the animals of the town have started an uprising, and only the good doctor can stop the end. It wasn't a seagull. It was Sophie. Oh! <laughs> I remember him talking to Nisfew saying we'll create like a, a message system with seagulls. Yeah, and Sophie was... And now, now I remember that Sophie shows up with her husband to be like, See, I told you, Philip, he's five times the man you are. <laughs> if only you had flippers and could swim fast enough to avoid an orca. <laughs> what could have been, Doctor? What could have been? Come, Philip. <laughs> Okay. Oh god. I appreciate everybody staying with us this long. We're almost done. I'm crying. I'm going to repeat this last note. Anyways, John, I guess, takes the humans back to England because sometime later, the good doctor receives a missive from Sophie the seal delivering the news that the animals of the town have started an uprising and only the good doctor can stop the inevitable. <laughs> doctor do not know if he wants to side with, huma with humanity or the animals, thinks briefly that if he helps the animals surpass the humans, surely the married seal would love him and find him a more worthy mate than her husband seal. <laughs> the bizarre doctor decides that the only way to get back home is to dominate a giant lunar moth <laughs> and equip it with a primitive saddle and ride that son of a bitch all the way to England and with the help of the locals, he does just that. As the doctor flies off into the horizon. He makes him into a fucking living blueprint. Yep. I guess he, he didn't, didn't unlock the yeah, Ingram. Yeah, I was just about to say, he doesn't have the Ingram unlocked. 
as the doctor flies into the horizon on the back of Mothra's pacifist cousin, we are treated with a welcome sight. The credits. <laughs> the end. And then the last scene is we see him on the back of the moth, like, coming into England. And, uh... Looking like Santa's reject. <laughs> like, like, looking like the most bizarre Santa Claus I've ever seen. Uh, Hi, Cooper. Yeah, Mama's laughing really hard. Hi. <laughs> Love is like, I'm uncomfortable about Dad's recounting of Dr. Do talk to dance. <sighs> I got you pretty good. <laughs> but don't worry, you get a free copy of John, the giant pink sea snail. <laughs> it's gonna be a children's book. And it's gonna have pop-ups, <laughs> and they'll be they'll have sliders. So, what's inside John's shell? Human skeletons. <laughs> Two full-sized and one tiny. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Quick question: If the snail's shell is watertight, how the fuck did they get in there? And how the hell did they bring in all of their? their food and whatnot and also how do they get out and also <laughs> wouldn't that be incredibly sensitive and painful for the snail to yes. have people tromping around and just mm -hmm. pissing and shitting and throwing banana peels inside of his mm -hmm. body really dr doolittle is just a tale of animal exploitation from someone who goes no i know what they need <laughs> <laughs> i know what they need more than they do yeah so to recap, it's it's like white savior and human savior met. There you go. In the middle. <laughs> oh god. So I'm remi watching the show. I'm reminded of why I only watched it once as a child. Mhm. Mm uh first half great and entertaining if still nuts with the talk of the cheddar cheese son eating the moon pies and lollipop stars yeah. that you know stuff like that uh courtroom scene is great the uh animal clinic scene is great mm -hmm. the push me pull use push fun. me pull use fun uh that's kind of about it for me and then the acid drops and then the madness takes effect mm -hmm. uh oh god oh <sighs> yeah oh my hell and I know it's, uh, I know we're only halfway through the apocalypse, musical theater apocalypse right now. Okay. Yes, yes. So what's our, what's our next horseman to kick us in the face? Hello, Warren. Well, hello, Warren. It's so nice to have you back where you belong. So... Oh, crap. I forgot the rest of the lyrics. It's Hello, Dolly. <laughs> Uh, which I have not seen as far as I know. You have not. Um, <laughs> your, your dad's seen it. Oh, uh, uh, okay. And that was the one where he saw it live and saw the movie and went, well, the live one's good. Why is the movie? And gotcha. The movie of Hello, Dolly is notorious. <laughs> it's another big flop. So it's a notorious B.I.G. flop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It didn't flop as hard as this one, but 
it got close. Like it, it just barely squeaks by. So we'll we'll be watching Hello Dolly next. Hello Dolly, there's the door. <laughs> Don't let it hit you on the way out. So, thank you all for listening um, to this wild and wacky. No pun intended, or all the puns intended. See, when a show is not engaging enough for me, my brain starts making up a plot. Uh, <laughs> but please reach out to us uh, via... Okay. <clears throat> Wonderful listeners. Thank you for joining us today. <laughs> if you would like to get in touch with KRI, you can do so at our home base, which is tonedeafmusical.com. There we have links to our email our Discord, our email, our Twitters, our Instagrams, our Facebooks, as well as a link to the Cast Junkie Discord server where we have our own Not Safe for Work channel. And if you would like your pre-ordered copy of John, the John, Giant no. Mail, <laughs> please reach out to us. Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to have to help write it. <laughs> However, if you want some John, the Giant Pink Sea Snail t-shirts, you can also find links to RT Public. Uh, Which we don't have a John the Giant Pink Sea Snail yet. yet. <laughs> but I think that might need to be a thing. Yes, it will. <laughs> I can already see the caption. Tone deaf. A shell of a show. Jesus Christ! And Kay just spit on me. <laughs> you deserved it. <laughs> you know what? I did deserve it. For that one. No argument that here. That one was bad. <laughs> that one was bad. Good, but bad. <laughs> so, hey, when I'm good, I'm great. But when I'm bad, I'm better. <laughs> so, <coughs> if you want to help out um, in different ways to help out our show, you can leave reviews on Podchaser, on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you can comment on podcasts. Um, you can also join our Patreon, which is Tone Deaf Musical, and that is a way to go above and beyond the Call of Duty. Um, and I, I just thought of something diabolical. <clears throat> Latte wants everybody to send to uh, to uh, uh, give us reviews on all of the the podcast apps. For every review that someone gives that says uh, "Say hi to Latte," Latte gets a cookie. So that's our initiative. For every review inspired by Latte, Latte gets a cookie. Babe. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to bribe the internet to uh be, to show love for our dog. Latte came running over. She's like, "I heard cookie. Where that's a promise, Dad. Where's the yeah, cookie?" Yeah, yeah. Our dog understands what that word means. Yes, she does. <laughs> so, anyway, um, we're gonna have to go make good on that promise now. <laughs> That'll be it for this week. <laughs> I'm Kay, and I'm Warren, and this has been Tone Death. Yeah. Babe. Sorry, I forgot where I was for a second. Tone deaf! <laughs> God, this is gonna be a horrible edit. Oh fuck. I'm so sorry. Oh fuck. I'm so sorry. This is gonna be hard. I have I have four hours. <laughs> Four hours? Well, till we go to bed. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you want for dinner and I'll make you some food? Mac and cheese.